0: Today's episode comes not from Silicon Valley, but from Vietnam. Population, 98 million. The capital, Hanoi. Top exports, telecom equipment, electronic parts, textiles, and coffee. And an interesting fact, amongst all the Southeast Asian countries, Vietnam received the third most foreign direct investment in 2020, falling right behind Indonesia who had the second, and Singapore with, by far, the most. Born in Vietnam to a Vietnamese mother and father, Denise Sanquist was three weeks old when she was adopted by her Swedish parents back in 1991. And Denise's life as a little girl growing up in Stockholm, well, normal. Until her mother died tragically from cancer. Denise was nine. And since then, Denise's journey, it's been anything but conventional. We start when, after graduating from high school, Denise decided to take a gap year before starting university. But Denise's gap year, it wasn't a backpack around Europe or Southeast Asia type of gap year. It was a, get ready for this. Go to spy school, learn Russian, live in Moscow for a year and a half, move to China, learn Mandarin, move to Thailand, knock out an opponent in a kickboxing fight, move to Vietnam in search of her biological mother type of five-year gap year. <sighs> yeah. How's that sound? And starting university at 24 in 2014? After a five year experience that could and well should be chronicled in a movie, well, Denise was a force to be reckoned with. So, fast forward to 2016, Denise went back to Vietnam again in search of her biological mother. And with a post on Facebook that went absolutely viral, 18 days later, she found her. For Denise, she saw firsthand how the internet can bring people together. And so, soon after, in 2020, Fika was born, a localized dating app for Vietnamese people to come together and from there stay together. With a verification system, a personality test, a local twist like your profile indicating if you were born in the year of the rooster or the year of the dog, and a couple's mood that gamifies relationships, Fika already has nearly 1 million downloads in Vietnam and around the world. just completed a $1.6 million seed raise from some really, really impressive investors. And for Denise to get here, man, her story is one of tragedy, of family, of learning six, yep, six languages. And of course, a story of love. Get ready for perhaps one of the most impressive, turbulent and international stories you'll ever hear. I'm David Zubinski.
1: And I'm Denise Sandquist.
0: And this is Not From Silicon Valley. Denise, welcome to the show. You've got one of the most interesting stories and backgrounds of any founder, really, any person I think I've ever met. So I can't wait to get started. Let's begin with telling me a little bit about where you grew up.
1: And I grew up in in Sweden, in Stockholm. Uh, I was born in Vietnam. Uh, I was adopted from Vietnam as a baby and uh, grew up in in Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden.
0: And you kept in touch with your birth parents in Vietnam during this time, or?
1: Um, Yeah, so actually I didn't know anything about my uh, birth parents before. Um, So I almost, uh, anything at all. But I I just know that uh, my parents, my Swedish parents always said that your parents, like your Vietnamese parents gave you away because of uh, love and so. Uh, I just know that my Vietnamese mom, she studied finance at university. Uh, the story was that my, my Vietnamese dad, he worked at a bank and then the bank went bankrupt, so he had to escape. Um, and um, yeah, later, later, like actually five years ago, I found my Vietnamese mom, but growing up, I didn't really know um, why. Uh, I didn't really think so much about why. I just felt very happy and lucky to be in uh, to be in Sweden. Of course, uh, took it as like granted, but still I always had this understanding about that it, it could have been different, so.
0: You know, as this Vietnamese girl growing up in Sweden, I think of Sweden perhaps incorrectly, I guess, ignorantly as this homogenous kind of blonde hair, blue-eyed country. How was it growing up looking so different from your friends and classmates?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this, is a, this is so funny because um, my, my co-founder, he is, uh, his parents are, are Chinese and his first generation uh, Swedish. And I think that both of us like are Asian growing up in Stockholm. Uh, and when he encountered actually like racism, comments, I, when he told me about that, like, like later, I thought that he was joking or I thought that he was exaggerating, um, which is quite special. I don't know if it's because I'm ignorant or (laughs) what it is, but, but, uh, I only had, um, um, yeah, like Swedish, Swedish friends going up, going up my very Swedish, uh, Swedish uh, suburb. Um, I know that I'm like, I look different and, um, and, and so, but I never felt, um. Yeah, left um, left out, um, how maybe strange that could have, that could sound. Um, look different. Uh, Denise is a quite, a little bit unusual name in, in Sweden as well. But um, except for that, felt like like everyone else.
0: And Denise, changing the mood here, it was during your childhood when tragedy stuck, no?
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh I had a very nice, uh, good childhood. Um, but when I was nine, my mom passed away in cancer. So um so she, um, I think when I was eight, I have a quite good memory. So uh, I found out that she was sick in cancer when I was eight. Um, and first, my parents didn't want to, they didn't want to really like explain, of course, like what cancer is. Um, but it was, uh, it was a girl at my, in my class and her mom was working at the hospital where my mom was, uh, was visiting them. And then I remember that she, she told me one day that, uh, do you know that your mom uh, can die? Uh, Of this, uh, of this disease that she has, and I think I remember that day uh, still. And I actually, it's it's very hard, of course, like when she passed away when I was nine. But I think it was also very tough when, like, not not the exact day, but it was one month before, when my dad actually told me and my little sister that uh, she was going to pass away. Um, So we know about that before. That was very, uh, yeah, very very tough. Uh,
0: I can't imagine the type of impact that would have on a nine-year-old.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that was something very tough. And I think that I don't, I didn't understand how much it has shaped me since like until like quite recently, I think. But I mean, when something like that happens, you get another perspective of life. Like, I mean, that was really painful. And like in life I took with me that like nothing, you never know how much time you have with people. um, What is hard because that feeling was really, this was really tough. So like during my, when when continuing growing up, I had very easy to, to study, um, highest grades in all subjects, uh, number one, and um universe like high school, uh, choose the the most elite uni- like high school, and then, um, yeah, very very like high achiever, and um, that is very nice, of course. But I think that, yeah, like when I grow a little bit older, I understood that uh, I had this performance coach, and and she actually like maybe understand that when my mom passed away. I became really good at just like putting away my my feelings a little bit, just like focusing on on like just putting up a smile and just like uh, just go, just going straight forward.
0: Yeah, and putting away your feelings. Sometimes we're told, right, in in the face of grief and mourning, to just suppress those feelings and keep marching on, which isn't always the healthiest thing to do.
1: So, yeah, it's um, it's it's that's why like that thing that happened when I was nine. It's uh it shaped me a lot and it. Um, I like earn or like gain a lot of the things from it. But it's also something that to be aware of I think that uh, when you're just uh, going straight for like, uh, just like 180 and you don't, um, yeah, maybe have time to think about how you feel that can also like, um, you know, catch up on you like one day.
0: Yeah, well said. Now, Denise, you mentioned you were at the top of your class in school and university. Did you study in Sweden?
1: Yeah, I actually had uh, five years between high school and university.
0: Five years, <laughs> a five year gap year.
1: yeah, five year <laughs> gap year exactly. What you do? Yeah, those five years uh, so I did uh, I did military service after high school.
0: Is that compulsory in Sweden?
1: And uh, no it, it's very rare that you that you do it actually, and especially for girls that you that you do it.
0: So why'd you do it?
1: Yeah, I, I never I was never like this kind of person who dreamt about doing military service. But I wanted to become a doctor uh, before because I wanted to solve this uh, issue with, uh, with cancer and I wanted to uh, like uh, make a difference in that way. Uh, but I studied natural science and then at that time I got into the diplomatic program's website and it said that you want to change the world, discuss interesting questions and, and so. And then I know it was this um, old spy school in Sweden. So it's called um, the, Mil- the Swedish Military Interpreter, Interpreter- Interrogator Academy. So you study Russian for one year very intensively um, and you learn like uh, interrogation techniques and human intelligence. And after that, you can work at the Swedish embassy in Moscow if you can pass it. So yeah, that's what I did after high school.
0: All right. So I think gap year, you know, the year between high school and university, uh, I think backpacking Southeast Asia, I think backpacking Europe. But you, Denise, you learned Russian and how to interrogate people.
1: Yeah. Thought it was a good, uh, good invested time. Yeah.
0: So you were how old?
1: I was uh, 20 actually. So I did this military service when I was 19. It was very tough, um, to get, we got 500 new words per week. So first we have basic military training, very tough, sleeping just a couple hours per night and they push you a lot. And after that, you go into more training when it comes to your, your head, like 500 new words in, in Russian per week, new grammar. You have to score about 97% in a row um, on these uh, Friday exams. And then about 30% are eliminated during the year. So I didn't get eliminated, and so I, when I was 20, I finished this uh, military service and then I moved to to Moscow Moscow yeah it was uh, it was uh, I mean after that kind of year in, uh, in the military service, right everything you do is you study like a teenager, you want to have fun, and then to come to Moscow you you speak you can speak Russian, uh, you can communicate with people you never thought you would be able to communicate with, you live alone um, you, I worked at the Swedish embassy there. It's uh, you. You, earn, you have some money to, to spend. It, it was really, it was really nice, really evolving period in my life.
0: How long were you there for?
1: Uh, I was there for one and a half year.
0: So what? From twenty or so to twenty two or so?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I was in, in Moscow, and then I was the same age as my. So I stayed there from twenty to twenty two. Uh, like one and a half year, like that time of time. Um, and then I was the same age as my Vietnamese mom was when she gave birth to me. I was like 20, yeah, 21. So I thought I never been to Vietnam. Um, I wonder why I am a little bit the way I am. And I decided that I should go and backpack in Vietnam. So I just had a really quick stop in Sweden, actually like I think three months. And then the summer of 2013, I was, I had saved up some some money and then I went backpacking in, in India and Southeast Asia and came to Vietnam.
0: Ah, so now this sounds like the typical gap year, traveling Southeast Asia. Well, Although knowing you, Denise, I take it you weren't just hostile jumping. You probably had something else in mind.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. So I wanted to. I, I came to the hospital where I was born, and I had um, a bit of information about my Vietnamese mom, her name, and uh, that she studied finance at university. Um, Asked them or like uh, tried to communicate if they had any information about her. They didn't have that.
0: Yeah, you didn't speak any Vietnamese, did you?
1: No, not not a, not a word. No.
0: And this was the first time you'd been to Vietnam since being adopted as a three-week-old?
1: Yeah, the first time as an ad- adult. I was back uh, when I was two years old, but uh, yeah, to, to adopt my little sister, but yeah.
0: I mean, that experience, to come to your homeland for the first time as an adult in your early 20s, how'd that feel?
1: Coming to Vietnam, I, because I, I barely didn't have any Asian friends, like uh, I met the first Vietnamese person when I was 15 uh, years old. So to come to Vietnam, I thought that everyone really looked like, like me. Um, like I, I saw, oh, like, I saw like my, like the body a little bit similar, like features. And I really felt that everyone was like my brother and sister. Now I have relaxed a little bit about that because I, I lived here for a while, but it was really, it was really special. And, and of course, when you come to, to Vietnam at that, I was 22 and I, I could see people my, my age and I thought about, what? How would I have been if I would have lived in Vietnam and not have come to Sweden? And I mean, backpacking in in Vietnam for me, it was, I mean, it wasn't just like typical maybe like Southeast Asia parting trip because everything that I saw, I always thought that, wow, like um, what about if I would have stayed in Vietnam? What would what would my life? What would have been like? And how would I have been? And, and when I saw people who were like poor poor people, like people who didn't have that many opportunities, that I thought about. Yeah, like I'm, I'm so lucky. I'm so, I'm so happy that I got, these, uh, I got this like amazing life in, in Sweden with parents who love me. And yeah, very interesting experience to come back.
0: Yeah, I mean, such a testament to your parents for giving you such a beautiful life in Sweden that allowed you so many privileges you perhaps wouldn't have had otherwise.
1: Yeah, yeah, extremely.
0: Okay, so back to your time in Vietnam. Knowing what I know about you, I take it you didn't stay there in one place too, too long.
1: Yeah, of course not. So (laughs) so I was, they didn't have any information on the hospital. And then I thought, okay, now I can speak English, Swedish, some French and Russian. I don't know if I want to become a diplomat anymore, because I don't know if this is the most effective way that I can change the world. So I thought, no matter if I want to become a diplomat or if I want to do business, it's always good if I know Mandarin. And I thought, why don't I move to China I learned Mandarin and then I can also come back to Vietnam to look for birth parents because Mandarin is always good. No matter if you want to do business or whatever, China upcoming superpower. So I just, um, I was in Cambodia. So I was doing this like Southeast Asia backpacking trip. I was in Cambodia at that time and I just Googled study Mandarin, no foreigners, warm, warm climate and found this uh, small city uh, called Nanning, uh, three hours from the Vietnamese border. And then I went back to Sweden two weeks, fixed my visa packed my bags, and then I enrolled in the semester in China in September
0: 2013.
1: At 22? Yeah, yeah, I was 22, still 22 then, yeah.
0: So at 22, you've now lived in Russia and Vietnam and say, hey, I want more adventure, let me go move to a foreign city in southern China?
1: Exactly, and I I wanted to find people, I didn't want to be with foreigners because uh, I wanted to really be just the style as I did in Moscow. I was just trying to be with Russians just to, to speak Russian. I wanted to do the same style in, in China. So yeah, that's what I did.
0: Tell me about it.
1: Um, yeah, I came to China actually. I was completely completely alone. I was with my Russian ex-boyfriend who didn't speak a word of English. That's also a good way to learn a language, right? So yeah, and we couldn't live together at the university area. So we had to go through this, like uh, finding this apartment, like um, out, out uh, outside of the university area. It was a very, uh, very, very basic apartment. Uh, it was, uh, like you came out, you can't, you open the door. It was like the bedroom and then you open the bedroom door and you can, it was like no windows. It was like a balcony. It was very, very, very basic. extremely basic, like a hole in the ground as a toilet uh, in the ground on the floor. And so, so very basic. Um, and, um, I was, uh, there was, I didn't speak a word of Chinese, a word of Mandarin. Um, I, I I spoke Russian with my ex <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, like really try to, it was, it was really tough because, and this is the best way to learn also because my classmates, they were all Asian. So they were Vietnamese, Thai, Cambodian who spoke very little English. So we had to speak, like I had to learn Mandarin to communicate with them. So it was, um, I had to like take a lot of responsibility, like, uh, fixing with apart and fixing all these like things, uh, in this, like Chinese city where everything is in these characters. I don't understand anything. Uh, Luckily, I had some, I found some like Chinese friends that could help. But at the same time, this was exactly what I wanted. So I could speak after, I could speak some Mandarin after a couple of months, actually, uh, because I just studied a lot. Fluently? Not not fluently, but yeah.
0: (laughs) And you were in China for how long?
1: Um, Three semesters. And between two semesters, I was living in Thailand also for... For a short amount of time.
0: Uh, don't tell me you learned Thai also.
1: No, uh, people, people say like, oh, you speak Thai as well. And I have to say, no, no, not, not as well. No, I did, I did, um, uh, the semesters, um, I was, yeah, I was in, in China, um, broke up with my ex. And then I thought I needed that. Uh, it was like the end of like, we had a, like this holiday, uh, and I had a friend. She was doing yoga at Kopan Yan in Thailand. I just wanted to go away uh, to, to like have some sun because it's really cold actually in China during that time like December. Um, so I um, yeah I lived um, I flew to Thailand where actually I took the train and then and then and so on so. But yeah I was I was living in Thailand for three months and then training Thai boxing just every day, really nice. And then I enrolled to have my first Thai boxing fight also, which I won on knockout. What? Yeah it was I won. Uh, uh, a fight night. So I, my opponent was a girl. She had 50 fights. It was a Thai girl, so it was my first fight also. So it was nice because she underestimated me, you know, <laughs> because I my my style is more or like I have a quiet, I I, I wore a dress before the fights before I changed, and I remember like she was like just looking at me and uh, and yeah, and she really underestimated me, and that is probably also why I could knock her out in the in the se- in the second round. But yeah,
0: all right. And by the way, this all feels like a movie you win this fight night in Thailand, you go back to China and...
1: Yeah, so I met uh, my other ex-boyfriend in Vietnam, no, sorry, in in China, when I came back to to China. So he's, um, he's Vietnamese and I didn't speak any English, I didn't speak any Vietnamese at that time, so we spoke Mandarin. That is also why my Mandarin became so good. So we lived there for six years. And I always had this thing that I wanted to go to China, like close to the Vietnamese border so I could come back to, to Vietnam. But it's very difficult to find a person, uh, like 100 million people. Um, but I always wanted to, to go to Vietnam, live in Vietnam for a while before I came back to Sweden. So I moved to, uh, I ended my studies in China in January 2015. Um, so I was 24 then, yeah. And then uh, she just turned 24. And moved, uh, with him actually to, uh, to Hai Phong in Northern Vietnam, um, for, and lived there for eight months, uh, teaching some English. I had a very, like, um, very local life. Uh, his, his grandparents on one floor, another on floor. I did my style staying away from foreigners. There weren't that many foreigners there anyway. And yeah, I lived there for eight months and then back to finally to my dad's relief, uh, back to Sweden and started at the Stockholm School of Economics. When I was 24.
0: Okay, so voila, the end of this magical five year gap year.
1: Yeah, and then you imagine, right? You start with 19 uh, year olds, a lot of 19 year olds, a lot of them are from like Stockholm. And for Stockholm, I, I I remember how, of course, like the kind of word, how you look at the word when you're 19, because you also think that, you think like, oh, you're 19, you know everything. After 18, everyone is sort of the same. And then I, it was, of course, like a shock for me to, to come back. I came back to Sweden one day before, like the afternoon, before I started at the Stockholm School of Economics. And then, I mean, I, I had to find out about who I was also, because I left Sweden when I was sort of like left as typical life, like the, when I was 19. Um, and then I was 24, I had this like experience. So I had, I had to have some time to think about like, who, who am I now? Like, uh, what does Denise in Sweden do? And, and so,
0: so. Who was Denise in Sweden?
1: Yeah, after after two months, I uh, sort of understood how I should how I should behave with these nineteen year olds because I never met anyone born in I'm born in 91. I never met anyone born in 96 before. Like when I left, like they were like, what, fifteen or like it was they were so young, they're kids. But uh, I, I was uh, I had a while when I was as a boring older person for for a while because uh, yeah. But then I just like I, I became a lot of, like I was when I was like 19, I think. I mean, I had I have easy to talk to people, like easy get along with different people, different cultures, different ages, and so. So, yeah, people who studied the bachelor program, master's program, and I think that since I was so old when I started university, and since I I spoke some languages, had lived in some different countries, um, if I would have started university together with my friends who were born in '91, um, back then or like still, it was very much like management consulting, investment banking, like only. But I think since, um, since I had the privilege to have a lot of friends who started to work already and uh, these jobs, I could ask them what it is like. It's quite hyped up at Stockholm School of Economics, of course. Um, and I just had, I took these years at university to just like do different internships and just like, try to figure out what I'd like to do.
0: And when did you graduate?
1: Yeah, 2018, <laughs> very recently.
0: You know, Denise, to talk with you and find out you graduated undergrad three years ago, it's baffling. I, I feel you've had more more life experience in eight years since graduating high school than people have had in a lifetime. So you, you graduate in 2018. What was the first gig? Where'd you go?
1: Yeah, actually to Vietnam. Uh, I worked at a Swedish director's uh, uh, company called Oriflame. So um, I had an internship at Oriflame in 2016. So I did a lot of internships uh, because luckily I didn't have to focus too much on my all my grades as if I would, if I would have been like 19, nothing on my resume. So, um, had an internship with, with this company, Ordeflame in Tunisia, actually.
0: Uh, don't tell me you learned Arabic.
1: I, I, learned a little bit of, of Arabic, but I, I was, uh, not, not, not that much. I wouldn't say that, um, my other export friend who, <laughs> who I met in Tunisia, uh, we actually quite recently broke up, but he, he speaks, um, French is his first language. So we spoke French with each other. But he also speaks like Tunisian dialect Arabic. So in Tunisia, they speak with uh, like Tunisia, Morocco and Algeria have sort of like the similar. Yeah. So I can understand. Uh, I can, I could understand when he speaks. But yeah. But anyway, I had an internship with, with Oriflame. Um, I was uh, a little bit more entrepreneurial. I was interested in the Vietnamese market. So I thought that I liked Oriflame as a company, quite entrepreneurial.
0: Okay. And remind me, what Oriflame do?
1: Uh, it's a direct sales company. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cosmetics like uh, skincare, uh, wellness supplements, and yeah, different things.
0: And it's a Swedish company.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought um, it's a Swedish, it's a Swedish company. But actually, like to be honest, I, I, I sort of like understood like these three years. No, I don't. I had an internship at Goldman Sachs also in in London, investment banking. Uh, Shorter time, like at, at like internship at like BCG, and I was of course thinking about uh, that. Um, Management, consulting, investment banking, but I was very interested in the Vietnamese markets, and uh, the reason also why I chose Oriflame in in Vietnam, or where I could work there, was because that in 2016, uh, after one year at university, I had an internship in Vietnam in Ho Chi Minh City, like where I live right now, and then uh, I found this guy on this guy, a friend of mine now, uh, on LinkedIn, and you know, at the, this list over super talents in Sweden, uh, and he had a business in Vietnam, like an eco-friendly startup. I reached out to him on LinkedIn and asked if I could do an internship there, uh, which I could. So I went away during the semester uh, or like two months during my second year. And then at that time I posted on Facebook also that I was looking for my Vietnamese mom. And that post went viral. Uh, So a lot of people shared it and I found my Vietnamese mom. I was like in podcasts, talk shows, newspapers, all of these things. And I found her in, in 18 days actually.
0: Unbelievable. This was 2016?
1: Yeah, sixteen. Yeah, yeah, sixteen.
0: And it was all thanks to one Facebook post.
1: Yeah, thanks to the power of uh, social media and a lot of people who connected me with her. So yeah.
0: Denise, how was it meeting your mother for the first time?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it was it was um, nice, as I used to say. It was uh, it was it's like I was just a baby when she when she gave me away for adoption. So. It was when i became a little bit older i understood that oh she had me in her stomach for nine months and i mean i i, ne- I really never missed her because i never knew her but she missed me she could have missed me more like in her, in her life so when i met her it was i also wanted to find i wanted to find birth parents because i was interested like why I am i a little bit the way i am because genes and and your dna it, it can yeah it says some things about you uh, so it was just like, a, I always felt very like safe in my, I'm, I'm Swedish, adopted from Vietnam. Uh, my dad also remarried later. So like, I have my, my, my dad, my stepmom, like, I'm Swedish, but born in Vietnam. So for me, it was just like a plus. So like, really nice to find her. Like, a really like, it was like a plus, like a piece of the puzzle. But for me, it was like quite, um, it was, it was really nice, of course. But for her, it, I think it more like meant the world because she never actually wanted to give me away for adoption. So, uh, she had been uh, spending twenty five years also like uh, family is very important in 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 Asia so she had been spending twenty five years feeling guilty and never wanted to move actually from from Hanoi where I was born uh, so I could I could find her so yeah
0: how's she doing now
1: yeah she has uh she has two kids uh two daughters ah
0: you've got sisters
1: yeah exactly So um Half-sisters, exactly. Yeah, quite cool.
0: And your mother now is in Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh?
1: Uh, Ho Chi Minh.
0: Ah, She must have been so pumped to have you back when you graduated.
1: Yeah, she was uh, very shocked that I should uh, come to Vietnam to sell cosmetics. And she really hoped for Goldman Sachs there or uh, something else. She thought it was really crazy. Um, But yeah, uh, I was in in touch with her. uh, But a lot of people maybe think that, of course, like, now, I'm, I'm telling you my life story, right? So, you know, that it was important for me to come to Vietnam. And so, but the reason why I came back to Vietnam or came to Vietnam was was not actually because I felt that I wanted to find, needed to find my roots, because I already sort of did that uh, before. But it was really because that, yeah, I really, I really believed in, I thought Vietnam was an interesting market. I could see some similarities between China and Vietnam. And I've seen it before when I was in Russia, two Swedish guys took a uh, website to Russia. And now it's one of the top websites there. So... I sort of understood that if you know a market well enough, you can maybe take an existing idea and you can execute it well And yeah.
0: All right, so tell me about 2018. You're in Vietnam as this, and it sounds so weird saying this given your wealth of experience, but fresh grad.
1: Yeah, I was uh, came to Vietnam, didn't speak almost any Vietnamese because the dialect was very different between the North and the South. I forgot a lot of things from 2015 when I lived there in, in Northern Vietnam. So I spent, um, I was working at this, uh, this company that I worked for before, the Swedish company for, um, yeah, between, from end of 2018 to actually earlier this year. Um, my co-founder, he, um, he, uh, he came, uh, he was literally a bit delayed, he should have come earlier. But he um, he finished his thesis uh, later, so I met my co-founder at university because we were the project managers for Scandinavia's biggest student project. So he has a background in machine learning and AI, but he and he has no connection to Vietnam. I'm the only connection that he had. But then I was living in um, in Ho Chi Minh City. Used the time to really study Vietnamese because uh, I thought that it's really important that I tried to try to understand, like uh, try to learn Vietnamese. I was the only foreigner at this at my previous company, which was good because I really learned about. As I always do, right? Learn about uh, Vietnamese culture, people function. So I think that really helped me when starting and starting Fika. A uh,
0: perfect segue. Fika. All right, let's rock. Denise, tell me, uh, how'd you start?
1: Uh, so I always wanted to, I was interested in Vietnamese market. And then uh, back in 2016, when I found a Vietnamese mom, I thought a little bit about meaningful connections. Like, how can you find a person that you're supposed to meet really suitable with? And at the same time, a lot of strangers helped to find my Vietnamese mom. And like, yeah, it was really nice. It never would have happened if people wouldn't have cared, shared, and then that led to to more media exposure and so on. So that was sort of the idea that I thought that how can people be connected if you want to find someone if you're like suitable to person. I wanted to do something for like the Vietnamese people for like Vietnam, like doing something sort of like for people to say, say thanks. I was just also interested in the, in the market. And the third thing was that when I was in Vietnam in 2016, I was 25. And that is that age when people, especially girls, become a little bit older uh, in Asian culture. Uh, I had the colleagues, they were asking me, can't you introduce me to someone? And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know that many in Vietnam, but yeah, I will, I will try. But why don't you use Tinder? Don't you use any dating apps? Um, and then they said, I don't know tinder it feels like i don't know who i'm talking to i don't know if it's really safe it feels like hookup. Uh, i don't really like it like that and then also they didn't really believe that they could find someone on on, on tinder um so yeah, starting figure was a mix of like personal things like um, business things and me and my co-founder we at university we we read about the founders of tantan so tantan is um is a tinder copy you can say uh chinese version and these, um, these people are from Sweden, same backgrounds as me and my co-founder, actually sat at the same universities. Uh, they started Tantan Tan, uh, in 2015, uh, and then they exited in 2018 for like 680 million USD. So th- in three years.
0: Jeez, in three years? Was that to private equity or to an existing player?
1: Existing player, more, a social, social media, uh, social platform in China.
0: So you see this copy-paste model of a dating app work in China, you think, Okay, there's no localized version of a Tinder, or a Bumble, or a Hinge here in Vietnam. There's a population of like 100 million people here. There's an opportunity.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: How'd you start? Market research, team of developers?
1: Yeah, it's, this was last year. So we did some market research first.
0: <laughs> Good place to start.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I actually had a, had a boyfriend. Uh, I was uh, in for for five years. So I sort of missed a little bit and you heard about all my relationships, right? So I sort of missed this like dating apps, to be honest, like this like kind of thing. So we had to do like research and really like try to understand. We, we thought about different business ideas, but, um, but this was something that we thought that why don't like see as a background in AI machine learning sort of the idea was collect a lot of data and then like use this data, like improve the AI and then push people up like so that we would be suitable for each other. But, um, we started last year. Um, and we bootstrapped, we bootstrapped like all the time until, until quite recently. Um, so I was working full-time at the other company, um, like using my savings, my co-founder, uh, like, uh, we had a team in his kitchen first. Um, we started to develop in June last year. We had developers, a designer, marketing person. And then, uh, yeah, we launched MVP, very basic one in September last year. And then like the soft launch in November and, uh, now, today, we have close to 1 million downloads, actually. Uh, but I, it like, it went quite fast. And, um, from November, I was working like nine to six at the other company. Uh, of course, like also working a lot in, in, I was working a lot, like overall, working a lot. And then in, it comes to this, like, sort of point, I guess, like, I know when is the right time, when it's not the right time. But for us, we had closer to 200,000, well, over 150,000 downloads and, um, it was in, in March, in April. And we were thinking about like, because I was still working at that other company, but of course, like, because I'm an entrepreneur, I wanted to do something for myself. Uh, when is the right time to leave? And I thought that, okay, I just want to go back to Sweden because it's COVID-19, right? To started in COVID-19. I haven't been back for two years. I want to, see my, just to see, see my family. And um, yeah, that's uh, th- first do that and then we'll see. So I left Vietnam in April, the 20th of April, and then the fundraising started, and uh, I came back to Vietnam. And I didn't really plan on, on the fun- We didn't really plan on, on fundraising, actually. It was everything was very fast, lot of interest, uh, really great. Uh, we announced uh, the seed round, uh, 1.6 million USD from like really nice investors um, in October. And I came back to Vietnam about one month ago. So I thought when I left to Sweden, I thought it was going to be like a couple of weeks, but it happened to be six months. And then coming back. I I am not working at another company. I am the CEO of my own company. We're not bootstrapping anymore with like our savings. We are having more money to deploy. When I left, we had 10, 12 employees. Now we have 34. So of course, in this time when I wasn't even, I really scaled up a lot and yeah, things have changed.
0: Things have changed indeed and how fast. All right, I've got a lot of questions. First, who invested in your seed round?
1: So, uh, the lead investor is, uh, is a Swedish investor called VNV Global. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually funny because they, um, they have like, uh, yeah, they are introduced to me by, by one of my friends from military service. They started this e-scooter company called, uh, called Voy. Um, I think it's gonna be a unicorn. Uh, but that was the start of it all. So they, they lead, they led the round. We have global founders capital, um, also. And then we have three unicorn founders, uh, on the cap table. So one is uh, Sebastian Knutson. Who is the founder of uh, Candy Crush? Um, uh, King. Um, Brian Ma, who's uh, the like Divi Holmes, is also like the unicorn. And Brian, Brian Peltz is uh, one of the founders of VNG. So VNG is Vietnam's first unicorn that they did um, Salo, for example, like a shut up. And then we have like a lot of we have agents from um, uh, Index Ventures, uh, Balderton, uh, EQT, like from many nice like VC firms. Uh, one of the founders of Antler, um, yeah. So yeah, like uh, really nice.
0: Really nice. I mean, I mean, for a Vietnamese seed raise, that is one hell of a cap table, especially to raise a relatively small one and a half, one point six million dollars. So what's the plan with the fresh capital?
1: Yeah, it's uh, we. I like when things go go fast, and um, I think um, we have we we could come this that far ourselves, and now with this uh, this capital. Uh, it, it's great especially in in vietnam we have um we are actually pulling a push now in a couple of weeks we've been focusing on product development uh, a lot um and we're gonna do go go all in you can say with uh, build like lcd screens uh we like uh, like having these campaigns uh, like this uh, big influencers uh, like it's gonna be our brand ambassadors we're gonna have a christmas event actually we're gonna start with like uh, with the events uh, and so for fika so it's going really Really like um, we really want to become. We are already ranking since many since the whole year the best free dating app on uh, Google Play in Vietnam, uh, and then on on our lifestyle apps on App Store because we're in lifestyle category. It's between like number four and number twenty, depending on how much we push with like ads.
0: Unreal. All right, talk to me a little bit about the Vietnamese dating culture, Denise. What makes it so? so
1: ripe for a localized dating app. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone wants to meet someone through friends, right? That's the idea. Like, you have someone to introduce to. So I think that Vietnamese people are definitely more social than Swedish people. Swedish people are a little bit like introvert, like reserved. Doesn't really work that well all the time.
0: So there's this joke I heard, right? It's that Swedes were so happy to hear that one social distancing was kind of no longer in force, that they didn't have to stay three meters away from one another. They were pumped because they... Could go back to six meters.
1: Yeah, that's very Swedish. It's, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> so talk me through the key differences between Fika and Tinder.
1: First of all, it's it's safer because we only allow, we only have verified profiles uh, in Fika. So you cannot come in as, uh, we, have, we have manual verification. And so if you're like, uh, if you upload a photo of another person, you cannot get in. If you have a photo of some like abusive, like not, not nice photo, uh, you cannot get in. Um, but also like the vibe of Fika is that, I mean, you can use Fika. You should use Fika to to me, to meet someone that you can connect with. But then we don't really say that. Oh, you have to use Fika to find to find your future husband immediately. We have to have more like a fun approach to it. But yeah, this is a little bit in in branding and sort of like the product that we are, what we are what we are aiming for is, is a bit different in that sense.
0: And the UX: swipe left for no, swipe right for yes.
1: Yeah, we do uh, more like TikTok style: <laughs> swipe up and then.
0: Swipe up, swipe down. Really.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we we're quite inspired of uh, more like TikTok. Like we have a full screen photos in in Fika, so more similar to TikTok has like uh, the video, like full screen. Uh, our layout looks quite similar. You shouldn't make it too too difficult, I think. Like so, instead of like left right, we do up and down because it's easy to to scroll in in that sense.
0: So walk me through this. I'm a single dude in Vietnam. I want to start meeting people. I download the app.
1: Yeah. So um, we're looking at it in in four steps. So step one is understanding who you are. So we integrate personality tests. So you can do the personality test and figure out our own personality test. Something that is very special for Vietnamese markets or like for Asian market is uh, people care about Zodiacs a lot. Um I have many friends in Vietnam and they don't want to meet a guy sometimes because he's he's like Pisces or he's like Capricorn and and so. And yeah, and they always, uh, I have friends they ask me, when, when, when are you born again like what what time of the day and which, which city and then look up like oh you're born in the house of the moon or like in the in these kind of kind of things it's very important for people here, especially women
0: all right so I'm swiping I see a name, a photo and a, a zodiac sign
1: yeah so now you when you when you sign up you have to enter your, your birthday so we have automatically the zodiacs on on everyone so then on your profile it's a little bit more quality than uh, maybe other dating apps. So you have uh, the 16 personality. It's this like personality test, your character. You can read like strings, weaknesses in a relationship, like more things about yourself. And then we also have the Zodiac. So I am Capricorn, K-Clip and Capricorn. Capricorns are like this and this and this. And then we're gonna evolve this, adding the the Asian like Zodiacs, like born in the year of the horse, uh, dragon, and and so on. And then, um, yeah, we have like interest. So it's very similar to other apps, but this is also something that the more, it's about data. So the more people that does the personality test, the more people that fill in, like, the subject, the more people, the more information we have about people, the more we know about people, and then we can push people that are suitable up. So first step, find out about who you are. That's very important. Second step is, like, based on who you are, like, what do you want? So then we integrate, like, articles, like, we have this, going to add this, like, uh, next week, that is daily motivational cards, like, daily cards that's going to be adjusted for you based, based on your your personality type and based on your zodiac and just like uh, um, inspirational. And you have articles also. So if I'm ENTJ, um, this is my 60 personality type. I mean, it's nothing right or wrong. It's what you want, right? So some people can say, oh, you shouldn't be with a person who's, who's the same as yourself. But if you want to be with a person, you happen to fall in love with a person who's the same as yourself, then, okay, how can you work with both being extroverted, for example? How can you work with this and this? So we sort of provide taking more like proactive approach and like giving the users that. And then you know who you are, you know what you want. Step three, finding the person in Fika in a safe environment and then through AI. And then the fourth step is continued relationship in Fika. So lots of people don't think about that. If you, if Tinder is really successful, then you're going to take away the app right? Uh, if you're a good boyfriend or girlfriend. But uh, with Fika, you just enter the couple's mood. A lot of people are like, what is couples? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah,
0: that's what I'm asking. What is the couple's mood?
1: Yeah, so the couple's mood, you um, you enter, um, you can continue relationship in in vegan, basically. So you can, you, it's like gamifying your relationship, you can say. Uh, one thing is to meet a person that you're suitable with, like another thing is to sort of keep the relationship together. Uh, so you can build up your timeline, uh, like it's your anniversary, you could track how many days you've been together. Um, it can be like, um, we're having this dating spot experiences in, in, in Fika. We took it away during COVID-19, like earlier this year. We're going to add them back again. And I mean, I've been in a relationship like uh, many years of my life. So what do couples like to do? Uh, try different restaurants, uh, go away on weekends together. And everyone is so busy. But then if you get Fika. We have a lot of data on you. We know what you like. We know what you don't like. And then it comes like, hey guys, you haven't been on a date for six weeks. or I don't know, You haven't been on a date for like many weeks. Uh, we know that you like five-star resorts, and we know that you like this kind of style. If you're having this like uh, nice place, uh, yes, no, book for Fika, 30% discount.
0: Which is an awesome idea. It allows you to monetize in different ways aside from just the typical premium model, buy more swipes, et cetera.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly.
0: All right, so step four is this couple's mood, assuming all goes well. But going back to step three, you mentioned AI. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: So uh so basically like AI has a lot of data, the more data you have, the better, like more refined like the matches can be. So then we collect this data through how users are using the app, how many messages you send to a person with a certain profile, uh later how many days dates you go to with this kind of person, how many, how many minutes you spend, how many like on this kind of profile, how many people with this kind of profile you like. And the more and more data you have, so we can see that okay, so I, I seem to spend a lot of time on on guys who happen to, to be INTP, and they have this kind of profile. INTP? Uh, it's just this personality type. Um, so then, uh, yeah, we will, see, we will try to push up people who are more suitable for you. And I think that we're looking for, like, the next stage in terms of, like, after this one, two, three, four, uh, that's sort of, like, the journey. But then we're looking into more, like, the next level when it comes to... Um, like N- NFT and dating, we have like, if you this AI search function, because for AI search, for, for example, like, I mean, now we're talking about this, this Tinder level, like I like someone and then the person likes me back and then we we are a match. But I think that what we're looking at when we have a lot of data and sort of when you know what you want. If you really know what you want, why should you spend time then to to look at these people? I mean, our AI can be good, but like, ha- that you maybe don't really like. And so, on. so then we think about the next level could be that maybe like, in a couple of months, like in the future then, it will not be this typical like, uh, like or not like. It can maybe be more like a a search function, like an AI neural search function. And if you know it's like, okay, I like guys who are like this and this and this, and then they can find them in Vika. Uh,
0: A digital matchmaker.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So most of your users now, Denise, are what? 20-something Vietnamese singles looking for a partner
1: yeah I mean it's um when we're adding the couples mood uh, then existing couples also can join and in life you're either single or you are in a relationship right so then everyone everyone can can join um, and we focus on 18 to 24 year olds but now we're really focusing on people who are older than, than 25 so um, I think that for dating apps, and so we we're more like a dating app as you hear, but that can maybe be for like younger people. But I think that in life and so like uh, couples need to, there's so much more that you do in the couples version because if you want to spend the rest of your life together. And in Vietnam, like in the world, like in the Vietnam, you marry and then you try to make it work. And I think that in different ages, like if you are 40, uh, maybe have a calendar who should do the chores, uh, like just, uh, Uh, The timeline, like Google Photos, that you can see that, uh, oh, what happened like this this time before and so. So yeah, like a a lot of people could actually use uh, use Vika.
0: Yeah, really cool. It's like a digital scrapbook for couples. So aside from building out these features on the app, are you looking at expanding next door, like Cambodia, Laos, or maybe bigger populations like Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia?
1: Yeah, we are looking at uh, expanding. As soon as possible. <laughs> but uh, we have to, yeah, get, get Vietnam first. I think it's going to be, um, yeah, this couple is going can be really, really good. But we're looking at, um, we looked at always oh, like Southeast Asia, you know, because Vietnam is in Southeast Asia. But actually, it's quite interesting because Vietnam has many like cultural similarities to like Japan, Korea, China, more East Asia. So that is quite interesting. Actually, we got this input from one of our investors quite recently that because we always said expand to Southeast Asia, Thailand, Philippines, like uh, Malaysia, Indonesia. But looking at these countries, um, we have like a um, Muslim population and they are, um, it's, like, it's quite different. And, and, and of course, like some, some markets in Asia are smaller, like Laos, Cambodia, very small markets. But yeah, we're looking at uh, for, First Asia to expand. Like we haven't decided yet like exactly which countries. It's also, we're having investors that, have, that are in some countries. Let me look at that. Um, but yeah, definitely expansion. And that's what's so nice with the tech product. We're having 20,000, uh, more than 20,000 downloads outside of Vietnam already.
0: Really? Where?
1: They are in Hong Kong, in Singapore. Uh, of course, we have some in, we have, we have all over the world is cra- crazy. Russia, Sweden, UK. Like, it's just like, I don't know how they found out about Fika. But sometimes we have Vietnamese people living in, in Russia, Germany. And so, because when I was in Sweden, I could, uh, I could see them. We're having this Explorer Pass also. But yeah, like all over all over the world. So it's just, um, uh, we can expand to many markets at the same time, but as you should say, we, we start with Asia because that feels closest to us, what uh, right now. But then one Fika is, is a better alternative than Tinder is for my Tinder, for example, is for my single friends in Stockholm um, that want to find someone seriously. Then we can go global.
0: How about revenue streams? I'm assuming quite similar to the legacy players in that there's the premium model—you pay for additional swipes, etc.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was um, actually it was very similar to other like typical dating apps like uh, see who likes you, uh, swiping back, and so. on. But I think it's that is from something quite quite uh, quite interesting with like product and so about what metrics you look at. So I have um, I'm very familiar with retention right now. Uh, retention rate was something that I didn't really completely know that exists before I started Fika, but, uh, we made Fika free actually, uh, about one, one month ago in like a couple of weeks.
0: Ah, so before it was pay to play?
1: No, it's, it's it's just free, but we had like the, the the pro functions, the premium functions were, were chargeable. So, um, yeah. And then you can see that we're really focusing on retention like creating a product that people love so that is the challenge and opportunity in vietnam that people first time dating abusers and they're like why do i have to pay for this you're like yeah but on all different apps you have to pay for this but they like Who cares? Like, they don't know about that. And then they're going to give you a one-star review. So now Fika is uh, is free. So you pay in terms of uh, interaction in the app. So see who likes you. You have to like at least um, 15 people in the app. You pay in terms of, like, engagement and, like, uh, yeah, and so in the app. So now it's for free. But then later, since we're having this more, we want to go more into individualization. So when we know about you, we can also present things like people and also, like, information that is suitable for you. So then we can charge, like, in other ways. But overall, a lot of people, I didn't know that, but Tinder... Tinder is the highest grossing app, non-gaming app in the world.
0: I had no idea.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, and they are that because um, because uh, a lot of people buy Tinder gold. So it's just like subscription model. So we're going to do something similar, of course, we, like in the package, it's not going to be exactly the same features as, uh, as other dating apps have, but this is very, it's a subscription basically. So subscription is, uh, is working really well for different dating apps and Bumble, uh, IPO earlier uh, this year also. we quite similar to Tinder in, in many ways. So yeah, subscription is the way to go.
0: For sure. You go with a freemium model until you've hit critical mass, get to tens of millions throughout Southeast Asia and East Asia, collecting an insane amount of data. and <laughs> Voila.
1: Exactly. And we have to, a lot of people, we have a verification rate that is uh, about 60% now. So we don't allow everyone to get into vegan, Uh because, with the data collection, if you have a lot of like chatbots and fake users, it can be diffi- difficult to like, how can you really, like, later like, have to have like quality data. So I think we set up this system like from the beginning. So only real people, uh, we can really like um, use the data here. And I think that in 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 the world, like going forward, you have to, no matter what market we go to, okay, we can we can change the, the color here. We can change the message in marketing. But if you have the data, that's, that's really good. Uh, you collect it. Collect, collect data, and then you can make a product that more people would like. So I think that um, that we have that set up and then just had to hit certain things like uh, come to a certain level of products. But then, yeah, that is the plan. So
0: on that note, Denise, we speak a year from now, December 2022. Where will Fika be?
1: I think that we have uh, closed our Series A and we have expanded to, uh, I don't know which market set, but we have expanded to to Southeast Asia, in, in Asia. and. Uh, yeah, we are um top uh on top on the top list over the top um uh, definitely top dating apps in the countries, like social and dating apps. And we have really made like a footprint, I would say, uh to really like the way we we look at it, the way we connect. So Fika is seen as this is this uh, as this app where you sort of understand about yourself, what you like, you can find friends, like meaningful connections, because in the end you don't know When you meet someone, it's going to be boyfriend or just a friend. And so it's like physical attraction, other things. But really like I've seen as the the app that is, is changing the way we look at connecting with people and creating meaningful connections.
0: You know, as we wrap up, I'm thinking about your story, Denise. There's something so beautiful about your story. Being Vietnamese, living abroad for nearly your entire life and returning in order to connect people and build what will perhaps be... The biggest social app the country's ever seen.
1: Yeah, it, it's crazy. And it is also special because I didn't know anything about Vietnam before. I didn't grow up with Vietnamese parents. I didn't speak any Vietnamese so that I am in Vietnam, which is, you know, when I was back in Vietnam in 2013, I thought, what would my life have been like if I would have stayed here? It's like, and the people met was like a parallel reality. And now I sort of just bounce back to, to my birth country and my Vietnamese mom is like, of course, a bit shocked when she sees me on, because a lot of people also like that's just so nice because in Vietnam that they think my story is a bit inspiring that I was this adopted child going to Sweden, coming back and and creating this like social and dating app and also they feel quite empowered. And uh, when my my mom Vietnamese mom reads about me in uh, in like newspapers or if it's if it's something, so I think she also like what happened, you know. Gave birth to a shy like thirty years ago, you didn't see the shy for twenty five years. The shy comes back comes back and now she can speak Vietnamese and she's having this like company. So yeah, life is life is crazy, right?
0: Crazy indeed. Denise, you've got one incredible, inspiring, movie-like story. Thanks for sharing it.
1: Yeah, really thank you for it. You're really good at asking really good questions and I really enjoyed it. So thank you for, for having me.
0: That was Denise Sanquist from FICA, not from Silicon Valley, but from Vietnam. New episodes of the podcast are released every other week, so be sure to subscribe to, share, and rate, review Not From Silicon Valley on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks again. We'll see you soon.